KXNO. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. They are Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, welcome back. Hour number two, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. On the uh, air with you until noon. Uh, Appreciate you being with us. If you miss any portion of the program, you can always go to KXNO.com and click the podcast link. There the interviews will be, as well as the entire show. Randy Wayhofer from the Iowa Cubs momentarily. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic at about 11.35. John Sellers, our uh, on-site producer. We appreciate what he's doing. Andrew Downs back in studio. Thank you, AD, uh, for uh, coming in a little earlier and uh, keeping us afloat. Well, speaking of afloat, it didn't get washed out to rain every day but man oh man randy uh this homestand uh the weather was not your friend right nothing you can do about it you guys are used to it but seemingly this one i mean it's every day you had to worry if your guys are going to play or not yeah i watched more radar than most of the weather people in town i think this week and and sam as well and it's just frustrating because uh, you have you know really good things. A lot of people were really looking forward to the Field of Dreams mm-hmm. uh, movie on the video board after the game on Saturday, and it was such a beautiful morning on Saturday. Is really the kicker. I mean, if it, you know a day like today uh, is not perfect, but we're going to play today and we're going to be dry and, and finish up this series with New Orleans. But it was just downright gorgeous until about 2 o'clock. You know, when you're supposed to play at 4.30, you think you're in good shape. And at 3.45, it opened up and it didn't stop uh, all night and, and lingered into yesterday a little bit. And, uh, yeah, there's nothing you can do about it, but it doesn't make you feel any better about it either. I bet not. So the Field of Dreams, you were going to show the movie on the uh, on the Jumbotron, which I thought would have, you know, was a great idea when you shared it with us last time we were down here. Will you try and reschedule that one? Because i got to assume that there are a lot of families that, you know, that's one that really it piqued their interest. Um, will you try and get that one back in? Yeah, we have to find the right day to probably go to a Sunday afternoon post game on a, mm-hmm. on a 1 o'clock game now because uh, it's, it's too late in the year to start moving game times for a Saturday uh, for group business and, and plans that people have made. But, yeah, the rights fee that we had to pay to, to show the movie and, and promote it is good for a calendar year. We just have to let them know what, what date we're going to pick. So we will find a, a time to do that again uh, in the midst between Saturday and yesterday's doubleheader and today's day game. We haven't crunched through uh, exactly where that's going to be yet, but uh, stay tuned for an announcement on that. You know what? I, I never – I wouldn't have thought that you would have had to pay a rights fee. You know, that's something that didn't <laughs> didn't even cross my mind when you were talking about the promotion. You're going to have to, you know, write a check for, is it, who is it, ASCAP? I mean, who do you write that to? Do you have any idea? Uh, yeah, there's a company that, uh, I forget the name of it, uh, Shelby uh, Cravens, our media relations director, researched that one for us and, and, and found the, the right place to, to get that done. I think we can show the movie, but we can't tell anybody what we're showing unless ah, we pay the rights fee. Gotcha. So that's really not ah. much... Uh, use in, in showing Field of Dreams if you're not going to tell people that it's sure. Field of Dreams they can come to see. So that that was an important part of it. Randy, you guys did Sandlot before, is that right? I think Angels in the Outfield. Angels in the Outfield, okay. What's your favorite baseball movie? The Natural. You're The Natural. It's terrific. It That's is. a really good one. I've got a, uh, a picture in my office of uh, Robert Redford as Roy Hobbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to work with a guy uh, right out of college in, in Chicago that was a big autograph guy. Uh, and he had these two prints, one signed by Robert Redford and one that was unsigned. 
And he said Robert Redford refused to sign it as Roy Hobbs. He would only sign it as, as Robert Redford. If he would have signed it at Roy Hobbs, I would have spent the extra money for the autograph version. But since he only signed it Robert Redford, I just got the unsigned one and put it in the frame, and it's still hanging in my office. No, ter- terrific picture, no yes. doubt about that. Field of Dreams is really well done, too, no doubt. About it. it's, it's an all-timer. Bull Durham stinks. Yeah, that, that's my a, baseball that's, hot take. That's a good it's, it's a chick flick. It's not a yeah. baseball movie. Susan Sarandon, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, it was a good bus movie when I worked in uh, in the Midwest League. Yeah, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. there's it is well done. I mean, it's a caricature of the minor league lifestyle, but there's enough truth ringing to it that makes it funny in in that company. But yeah, like uh, actually, somebody told me they didn't like Field of Dreams because it, it was a terrible baseball movie, and, and it really isn't. A, it's it's told with a baseball setting, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's about so much more, uh, and that's why it's so good because the emotional tug that it that it gives you uh, with baseball is the backdrop. But uh, yeah, there's there's always more facets to all those things. Major yeah. League, my favorite. Is it? Yeah, yeah it is. pretty good. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the bus league. Uh, you, you, some great memories, I'm guessing. I mean, you, that that's paying your dues for not only you, but obviously the players and the, the coaches as well. Um, do, you, do you have any stories about those buses? It's just it's part of it, right? It's part of getting to the show. Yeah. You know, that's the part that everybody hates, but it's always the part where the best stories mm-hmm. come from. I remember uh, we were in Fort Wayne, Indiana one time, and uh, Raleigh Finger's son, Jason, was on our team. He was a relief pitcher, and uh, he was a little nuts. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, of course, in, in Indiana, we were staying right next to a fireworks store. Uh-huh. Uh, so one day before the bus was uh, leaving, Jason decided to go buy some firecrackers and light them off in the parking lot before we left for the ballpark that day. And we had an awesome bus driver, so we walk out and, lucky he didn't blow his fingers off we get on the bus and uh i always sat right behind the driver and the manager always sat across the aisle from me in the first seat by the front row and uh and the bus driver he gets in closes the door puts it in gear and he says hey play along so he turns out onto the frontage road and we just start down and all of a sudden he goes oh man and he pulls over to the shoulder and nobody can tell what's going on outside the bus so he trudges off the bus and he's gone for a minute comes back up peeks over the bar and he goes the cops want to know who's who's shooting off the firecrackers (laughs) and everybody looks at fingers and his face just went white as a sheet and his jaw hit the floor and there was just kind of this moment that hung there and our bus driver goes "Ah, i'm just kidding gets back in the seat and puts it there was no police there at all Uh, (laughs) you know you got to break it up right yeah Yeah, and and then uh, my other favorite one we were in my we won the championship my very first season in 1999 as a White Sox affiliate. And in the championship series, we won the first two games at home, went to Appleton, lost the next two games. So we had to play a game five, take all, and it was a day game for some reason. And we got on the bus, and it, nobody was saying a word on the entire trip to the ballpark. And Daryl Boston was on uh, our hitting coach. And uh, – <clears throat> We were getting to the ballpark so late for the championship game that the parking attendants were st- were already out taking money for, for cars coming in. And the bus driver just kind of waved at them, and they, he waved us through and knew it was the team bus. And in the midst of the silence, Debo yells, well, that's their first mistake. They let us in. <laughs> nice. Everybody started laughing, and we ended up winning the game. And that was the best bus trip I've ever been on was the six hours home from Appleton with a championship trophy and uh, uh, a big old party and celebration. That was a lot of fun. Some, some adult beverages, I'm assuming, <laughs> was were consumed, <laughs> right? Hey, you mentioned uh, I was out here yesterday for game one of the doubleheader, and my wife was baffled as it ended in seven innings and why – 
why are they doing the seventh inning stretch in the fifth <laughs> inning? How long ago was it that they moved to? You're doing a doubleheader. It's two seven out. Oh, uh, it's seven been a while. Always, yeah. as yeah. long as I've. Uh, yeah. This is my 21st season. It's always been seven inning doubleheaders. That's what I said too. In, in as long as baseball. I can remember, there used to be a rule that if you did a split day night doubleheader, you'd have to play nine. Okay. Um, but even now, that has been changed to become seven inning games, and and the basis for that is. Uh, you just don't have the pitching depth. Uh, you know, in the big leagues, if your pitching is depleted, you call AAA and somebody gets on a red-eye flight and they come join you the next day. That doesn't happen here. If our pitching is depleted, then we use a position player uh, or, or some other uh, stopgap measure. Uh, we don't get instant reinforcements. Uh, so they uh, do the seven-inning games when doubleheaders are necessary to limit the exposure of the of the pitching staff to prevent injury and, and just keep rosters in check. You know, Caratini was here when I believe the homestand started and he got the call up. So take us through what happens then. When you guys get notified, because no one, I don't know, Tommy Birch, I think, got to the ballpark. He was, you know, he's trying to find him because maybe there was some buzz up that uh, the Caratini was getting called up to the show, uh, called back up uh, off of his rehab assignment. So what goes on in that, in, under those circumstances, when do you guys find out? And then once you do find out, you, you whisk him out of town and, uh, without you know, no release or, or no media being alerted at that point, right? You want the, the Chicago Cubs to break that news. Help us out with, the, with the, what goes into that. Yeah, so the, the Cubs have that plan. The, the trainer uh, and the traveling secretary for the Chicago Cubs book the flight and the, and the hotel and, and get them out of town. Uh, and, you know, our clubhouse guy collects his uniform and his things and helps him pack his bag, and he goes on his way. And uh, sometime the next day, usually when they show up to the ballpark, uh, the Chicago Cubs then send out a press release saying that he's been activated and what the corresponding move is. So they, they wait until he gets there? They always wait till he gets there because if his plane's delayed yeah. or there's some sort of problem, they don't want to lose make that the roster move. Yeah, off the roster uh, until they know he's there because uh, gotcha. they're going to leave themselves shorthanded for a day. If they announce that Caratini's active and he's stuck in an airport somewhere, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they have to play a man short. So they, they never announce those moves until – uh, that guy is on site and uh, upright and, and <laughs> available uh, to and, and meets with the training staff in an injury situation to, to make sure he's 100% ready to go. Uh, that's why sometimes there's a guy missing from here as a guy for Chicago gets evaluated. He's sitting in a hotel and is told not to come to the ballpark unless we summon you mm. uh, just in case because once they see you and you're there, then you know the, there's uh, the expectation of a move. So. Uh, you know, they they call that the, the phantom, uh, the pump fake. Bobby Scales got pump faked a couple of times in his career. We went and sat in a hotel, wasn't needed, and got sent back down. Oh, my. Uh, Heartbreaking. And, and, yeah. He was a guy that had been toiling for a while uh, when that happened. Uh, and then, you know, the guy coming back has 72 hours to report, so we don't mm. necessarily get the, the return player immediately, uh, and that's – you know, fairness to family and, you know, living arrangements and, and all those kinds of things. Do some of them take all 72 hours or some, some do? Yeah, yeah. It just kind of depends on, you know, uh, often they want a pitcher to take 72 hours because they don't uh, need them till this right. next day to start. So you don't want to take the next guy off the roster. There's all sorts of logistics and timing that, that go along with that. But that news never comes from us first because that's Chicago's news. Says, mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're those, those players belong to them. Uh, it's their transaction, uh, and then we just follow along as, as the, the trickle down from there. Saturday night, uh, well, we weren't able to see it live as uh, Channel 17 got hit by lightning yeah. and no Cubs game, but Sean Doolittle uh, has a little 
Toe tap. Hitching the giddy up. Mm-hmm. We saw Carl Edwards was told right as the season began, not going to work, and then he came down here and, and has got things figured out, it looks like. He's certainly pitching much better. You know Madden at least a little bit, right? Was that more gamesmanship, or do you think he was truly upset that his guy wasn't able to do something similar, a little bit different, but similar, or is it more, like I said, the gamemanship angle? I think he wanted to be as upset as he needed to be for Carl Edwards Jr. to know ding, that ding, he's ding. in his corner. Yep. Perfect. Uh, most of Marty Peavy's ejections uh, over the last seven years have been uh, for the benefit of his player who had lost focus on his task because of his reaction mm-hmm. to an umpire's call more than his overall anger to uh, what was being said. Uh, as a guy who's done some official scoring and been around official scores, you learn to develop some thin skin because sometimes the tirade you get about how something couldn't possibly be an error and had to be a hit or vice versa is for the benefit of being an earshot of the player whose stats are affected as opposed to what they really believe about the call. That is a huge part of the tradition of baseball and probably, uh, you know, a, a management tool uh, that really doesn't apply uh, to your normal cube farm or other office because there's there's no opponent uh, necessarily, at least one that you're in direct contact with, you know. Uh, uh, so that there is a, a huge part of how managers behave and how they feel that that gains them credibility in their own clubhouse and with their own guys. Mm. You know, the, the official scorekeeper, it's an interesting point. I remember Dick McDonald used to do it here. I don't know. I think you were, he preceded you, I believe, Mackie. Um, and, and your point about, you know, players not happy that, you know, they got, they got charged with an error, a base hit was taken away from them. Um, those mostly those are the two circumstances but that can affect them can't it and and these guys do you know who reaches out i guess to the scorekeeper to express the you know the players feelings that maybe take another look at this or can you help us out yeah i mean the, usually it comes at this level it comes from the manager there's a new process now and how that's initiated at the major league level that the agents are actually involved in of are all you things, kidding which me? is kind of uh, uh, Maybe they've gone away from that. I remember reading something about that a couple of years ago. I hope they've gone away from it. But uh, it's a huge deal for pitchers uh, because if there's a a play that should be an error that's called a hit that leads to six runs in an inning, your earned run average on six earned runs or one earned run, uh, especially early in the season, can be greatly impacted. uh, And the mental state of some of those pitchers could be greatly impacted from that. So, uh, you know, as an official scorer, it's probably best to err on the pitcher's side because it's harder for them to regulate their numbers. You know, you think about a hitter who misses a hit uh, in the course of 400 to 500 at-bats in a season. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, uh, if you're a 270 hitter, you're going to be a 270 hitter <laughs> with or without that hit. Uh, you know, but uh, just like slumping and hitting the line drive right at somebody guys are looking for anything to change their fortune and, and change their luck and uh all of them react to those somewhat differently and in this video age uh you know and with replay you can even see reactions from guys here on close plays that they're looking to the dugout waiting for a challenge from guys who have been in the big, big leagues and have come back down to triple a and there's no none to be had here here at this level so um, yeah, technology has changed the game and all the different angles and all the different things that you see. Uh, normally, uh, you know, when I was doing it, 
if the only reason that you had to give me why my call was wrong was your resume compared to mine, I didn't give that much credibility. But, you know, if you could, if you wanted to discuss, you know, a baseball play and, and the merits of, of what you saw is against what I saw, I would, you know, have those things. Uh, my one official st- scoring uh, story when I was in Burlington, Ryan Sandberg was the manager in Peoria. Mm-hmm. One of our guys hits a chopper to the right side, and the second baseman goes almost to the first baseline to field it, has to spin, and he throws wild to first, and I gave our guy a hit. And I went in the clubhouse after the game to deliver the box score. Sandberg was in the shower, and his pitching coach was in the coach's office, and he starts calling me all sorts of names <laughs> and reading me the riot act about uh, how that can't possibly, can't possibly be a hit because we got three runs in that inning, and he's fighting for his pitcher. So I'm listening to it. Sandberg comes back into the room, hears the commotion, says, what's the problem? Now his pitching coach thinks he's got me, <laughs> and he said, he tells him the whole story, and Rhino goes, I wouldn't have made that play. Nice. I said, okay, have a good <laughs> afternoon, guys. <laughs> End of story. Hall of Famer coming to your, on your behalf. <laughs> Marty Peavy, seven years here, uh, career records around 500. You know, you can't just look strictly at records, though. If this iCubs team continues to win as you guys have at this point, you know, is that enough to maybe not a MLB job, but get a base coach job, something like that, take that next step forward? Well, he's been a base coach with the Blue Jays. He's coached third base and first base. He's been in that spot. He's been a a rover. He likes to manage. The Cubs like him in that role. Uh, He has not been worn out by the travel and Mm -hmm. and the demands of this league uh, physically. So, you know, he he helps in the big league dugout during spring training and and often goes up in in September. Uh, It's hard to know what are the criteria per se. Uh, It's mostly who's in your corner, uh, where is there a need, uh, you know, what, what, he's certainly capable. He's done it before. Uh, he, he's a terrific baseball mind uh, in, in terms of all those things. There's really nothing about being a AAA manager that correlates to being a major league manager. And I think that's one of the mistakes Ryan Sandberg made as he made his trek that he had to find somewhere in Philadelphia where he could go sit to Charlie Man- next to Charlie Manuel, where Charlie was solid enough in his position where every three-game losing streak, the media wouldn't say, well, is it his turn yet? Mm. You know, His status as a Hall of Famer, and as Ryan Sandberg, made it harder for him. And I don't know that he ever, especially in Chicago, uh, and I'm not sure that he grasped that. And, and maybe looking back, it doesn't matter. He got his shot and, and had a chance to do that in, in Philadelphia. But, yeah, to, to take that next step probably is um, back on the, the staff somewhere as a base coach or, or something like that. But, you know, those jobs are probably harder to get than, than managing jobs yeah. because – you know the manager gets to choose them more than more than anybody else, so it yep. depends who gets hired. I'm taking their guys, I uh, love this inside baseball segment with you, Randy Wayhofer. Team has gone through June the fourth, so we'll be gone for a while, but we'll be back down here during that homestand. What's coming up uh, in early June? Do you have anything? Yeah, our first dog days coming up on uh, June the fourth uh, when we when we come back. That's uh, a Tuesday. That's a Tuesday, so yep. you can bring your dog to the game. We've got dollar hot dogs. We've got uh, our first Demonios game. On oh, Saturday, right. June the 8th, uh, in our uh, Copa de la Diversión uh, program through Mono League Baseball. So we'll wear our uh, Demonios jerseys. We're going to have street tacos and roasted corn in the concession stand. We're going to have some musical selections and uh, some uh, bilingual PA and, and really um, try to be as welcoming and as integrated on, on those days and then find elements of those days that we can incorporate into the daily practice here at Principal Park is our community grows and diversifies. We want to grow and, and, and uh, be inclusive with it. So we're, we're looking forward to those days, too. So those are, those are the two big things early in that homestand that we've got coming up. 
Last thing for you. Uh, I was going to save this until we talk in a couple of weeks, but I don't want to forget about it. Um, <laughs> when when we see a new rule, something that's you know out of the norm, if it if it usually starts at the minor league level, we see the pitch clock here. Maybe it's spring training. But where I'm going is there's been a lot of seemingly movement, and maybe I know it's certainly high definition. Maybe Twitter. The umpires, and for God's sakes, a strike's a strike, and how can you miss that? Was a foot outside? Do you think there'll come a time in your career that that you we see the teams take the field, but there's no umpires at either the bases or behind the plate? And if that's the case, I would assume it would start at the minor league level. You guys seemingly are the testing ground. Yeah, I don't think we'd ever get that far. Uh, there may be the introduction of some technology to help the home plate umpire the way it has the other calls with instant replay. Mm -hmm. Uh, You hear many of the major league umpires like instant replay because uh, it gives them the ability not to be... uh, Takes them off the hook. Yeah, you know, if if you do have the the human element and and make a mistake, uh, there's a chance for for it to get corrected. but not only are they calling the plays, but they're controlling the action. Could you imagine a game where tempers flare and a beanball war erupted yeah. and robots trying to uh, be <laughs> yeah. in the middle of that? Issue you know, warning. Yeah, there's, there's, just, uh, uh, there's just things that a human being has to have a feel for of what's going on between the mm-hmm. two teams that are competing that are more important than one ball called a strike or one strike called the ball over the course of uh, uh, an inning or, or a game. And, uh, you know, like the weather – uh, if an umpire's having a bad day, but he's having a bad day on both sides, you can you, players can live with that a little bit, you know, and that's the kind of the nature of the, the 140 here, the 162 at the major league level. There's really nothing that happens on any one day that ultimately determines your your outcome if you're mentally strong enough to grind through the whole the whole mm-hmm. season. Uh, so I don't think we'll ever see a day where. Those uh, those guys are eliminated, and, and I don't want to see that day because uh, most of them are very good. Uh, and even in the bad days, you know, guys go for four with four strikeouts uh, all the time, uh, and they don't get fired instantly either. So uh, a little bit of understanding goes a long way, but in the heat of competition, uh, sometimes that point gets a little bit lost. Inside Baseball with Randy Wayhofer. Randy, you appreciate the team. Uh, they play today, wrap up the homestand, 12-08 first pitch back on June the 4th, Dog Days, one of two, right? The other is in August? Correct, yes. Uh, dog Day, June the, tw- or June the 4th, uh, when the team returns home from this extended road trip. Great to see you, my friend. Great to see you guys. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Inside Baseball, Randy Wayhofer will t- uh, take a timeout. We'll be back. We're live at the ballpark, Principal Park, 12-08 first pitch. Uh, New Orleans is in town. The baby cakes. It's Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Time to go for the green, powered by 1460 KXNO and EKG Golf. Text the keyword SUPER to 200-200. That's SUPER. Text it to 200-200. Standard message and data rates apply. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Condon live at Principal Park. First pitch, 1208. 
Well, I really enjoyed that inside baseball segment with Randy Wayhofer. He knows a lot. He yeah. has seen a lot. Paid his dues, no doubt about that. And uh, if we can bring it out of him, we need to do that on a mm-hmm. weekly or whenever we're down here uh, basis. Randy Wayhofer from the Iowa Cubs. 12-08 first pitch homestand wraps up today. June the 4th, they come back. It's dog day at the ballpark. Uh, I guess the dog evening at the ballpark is that is a 7.05 first pitch on June the 4th. Well, Scott Dockerman is our next guest from The Athletic. We sing The Athletic's praises seemingly every opportunity we get. We are non-paid endorsers of this fine website. Uh, Scott Dockerman joins the program. Doc, uh, your, your piece, uh, Touchdown Iowa, how Gary Dolphin got to be where he is today and the circumstances that led to it. It's a great read, Doc. Uh, it allows you, the athletic, to really write in long form. You don't have any uh, editor saying, no, you got to cut it down. We don't have that much uh, column space in today's paper, tomorrow's paper. Uh, the athletic, you don't run into that problem. Of all the stuff you've done, Doc, and you've done a lot of good things, this was one of my favorites. It's a fascinating, fantastic trip down memory lane. How are you? Hey, great, uh, Ken. I really appreciate that opening, and, yeah, it was a lot of fun to to look back at that kind of golden era of Iowa radio and what it was like, uh, you know, pre-1996 and and just how, uh, you know, instrumental. I mean, Iowa was the uh, the epitome of a radio state sports-wise uh, in that era, and, and it was just such a, you know, dinosaur age, if you will. I mean, so many other – I don't I think Iowa was the only Power 5 team in the country to have – you know, just kind of uh, different networks covering their games. And then, <laughs> you know, then they decided to go to Learfield for one voice and Gary Dolphin being it. But, you know, they had to come up with a kind of a King Solomon uh, mm-hmm. solution because those guys were such, uh, you know, icons in the state. So I, I really enjoyed looking back at this one. You know, it's really it's really well done, and we know how difficult change can be, right? The audience gets used to one voice or one time slot, and when that when change comes, at least in the beginning, it's it's difficult for the audience to wrap around. So, Doc, now that leads me to the the three guys that ultimately would lose the gig: Gonder, Brooks, and of course Zobel. And seemingly Zobel took it the the hardest. And you know, of course, I didn't hear Brooks or Gonder. I didn't grow up in the state, but it was very quickly. Don't have to be here. Didn't have to be here too long to realize the place that Jim Zobel had uh, in this community. Uh, from your piece, uh, I gathered that most feel that Zobel took it the hardest when he was replaced of the three. Yeah, that is true. And you know, and some things that you know, some people kind of shared to me that they didn't necessarily want published. You know, where you know Jim was. You know, I guess maybe how do I say this diplomatically? You know, had maybe the higher ego of the three. Um, and rightly so. I grew up in Burlington, and he was the voice that we heard in Burlington, and and uh, you know really, you know, kind of had the the greatest persona. I mean, you know, Ron Gondor, who's still alive, is is just so unassuming and probably the most polished of the three, in my opinion. And then Brooksy, you know, certainly <laughs> was an icon in so many ways. But but Zobel's voice. You know, those are the, he's the one that resonates the loudest, even to this day. You know, the I love it, I love it, I love it, and hug and kiss your radios, and you know, and, and some of the iconic calls that he made. He's probably the biggest. He had the biggest image of the three at the time, and and took it the most, you know, the hardest. And you know, I, I could understand it, and you know, it, it required you know for Gary Dolphin to really kind of smooth over that relationship, and it it took time, but uh, I think eventually uh, Jib was able to move on and. 
you know, and still conducted his, uh, what, two guys named Jim show up until, yep. gosh, right before his death. Yeah, right down the dial for us on WHO for a number of years, and him and Jim Walden always a fun, fun program that he had. You know, Doc, as you go back in that time period, and another piece I mentioned to Ken a little bit earlier today was the TV side, and maybe I was slow to adapt on the radio side because what they built on the television side created their own television network and syndicated across the state with Iowa basketball games throughout the 80s and into the 90s before Ray Comedy ESPN Plus came along. Doc, did you did that ever come up at all? Any, any connections to the TV side of things when you're putting together this radio piece? No, I pretty much kept it pretty narrow with radio at that time. Uh, but, yeah, obviously uh, television is how Iowa oh. basketball specifically was introduced. I mean, uh, you know, over on television, every, uh, I think, what, KDSM maybe it was. In the mm-hmm. That's what it was, yeah. At it, yeah, on Fox and, you know, KWQC, which it, at that time was WOC in the Quad Cities, and, you know, I think KGAN and Cedar Rapids. And, and yeah, you got to hear, you know, Mac McCausland, I think Larry Morgan was the voice mm-hmm. at that time, and some other people were before that. That's how Iowa was introduced to a lot of people who didn't necessarily want to listen to the radio. So maybe people of my generation in, in their 40s, uh, you know, listened a little bit to radio, but mostly, you know, caught up with Iowa because of television and, and around the state. So, you know, that that's certainly not a, that's a story I'd like to tell at some point, probably not for a while. But, uh, you know, it, it was the, uh, you know, that is, you know, a different caliber story, I suppose. But Larry Morgan, you know, became a very popular face. And I think, if I would have made a wager at that time, I think he would have been the one that I think would have gotten the radio gig. But, uh, mm. you know, certainly it came out to be Dolph, and, you know, Dolph has created his own legacy here in the last 20-plus years. And he said he's not going to keep doing it forever, Doc. I mean, there seems to be a finish line, uh, and Gary Dolphin is approaching. It's not like he's leaving this year. He's going to, you know, get to that magic number and then take it year to year. But he doesn't want to be, or didn't didn't come across like he wants to, you know, be like uh, into his 80s and still doing this. He's going to retire at some point, which I guess leads us to our next question, right? Is, you know, who's the heir apparent to that? I think we all have in our feelings um, as to who's going to get that opportunity. Chris Hassel's name seems to come up more than others, but um, you know, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's another part of this story still to be written. I think it is. And I think it's probably one that we've, you know, has drawn intense speculation over the last few years. And certainly after Dolph, right. absolutely, you know, in the last six months have really, um, you know, added to that. And, uh, you know, Chris Hassel's name has been bantered about, uh, you know, he's, you know, very active on social media. He's got the connection, certainly, in Des Moines and being from Muscatine and growing up an Iowa fan. Uh, you know, but does he have any real play-by-play experience with, you know, a college football program? That's that's going to be interesting to see. You know, I, I mean, if I was to put a guy out there that I think would deserve at least the, the call and the opportunity to, to, you know, interview would be Mike Grimm, who's now the voice of the Minnesota Golden Gophers. He's from Manchester, uh, you know, is the voice of KXIC, the sports director for a while. And I think he would be fantastic. He's, he's really an upper echelon uh, play-by-play man for the Gophers. And, uh, you know, I think there are some others that would be interested. But, you know, the one difference now versus what it was like in the, in the mid-1990s was when you replace three legends like that, if you go out of state, you better hit a home run, yep. and, it, and, you know, you can't fall short. Uh, now I don't think that the radio side is as important, and I'm not suggesting that they would, you know, look for another voice, but 
you know, if they had to go out of state or if they felt like that was such a good candidate they can't pass up, I think gotta you got to explore those opportunities. And it wouldn't be quite as bad as it was then because the optics would have been really rough if you're basically throwing out three icons, legends in the state who are bigger or as big as many of the coaches. Uh, you know, you needed an Iowa voice in the worst way, and Dolphin certainly provided that. You know, one one of the other aspects of the piece, and I encourage everybody to read it. It's a terrific read. Um, was the you know when Dolph first got the gig, it, one of his first duties was to you mentioned smooth feelings, and we talked about people hating change, and and they, and they clearly do. One of the first things that he was asked to do was to visit all of the Hawkeye radio affiliates in the state, some of whom apparently, Doc, in your piece, were teetering on switching because of the change. They didn't like it necessarily, and they thought about, you know, what the heck with the Hawkeyes? We're going to start carrying Iowa State football games, and Gary had to smooth over those feelings. Yeah, it was it was real, and it was important because, I mean, it created such a uh... – yeah, you know, I mean, it was a contentious situation in a lot of places because, you know, some of these stations were so tied into their broadcaster, whether it was Brooksy or Gonder or Zobel, and, and uh, you know, who's this guy from Dubuque? I mean, we don't know anything about him. Okay, he used to broadcast Iowa games 20 years ago, and he's been doing Northwestern basketball. Big deal, you know. So they, they wanted to tie everything in, and, you know, I think it was what it was Pete Weber at the time, if I recall, with the Cyclones. And, and so Pete there was a discussion – Pete Taylor. Oh my God! I'm yep. sorry. That's the yep. bowler. Pete, Pete Weber's Taylor. a bowler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I screwed up there. But uh, you know, Pete Taylor was so you know instrumental in, in in the Cyclones in the same way that the other guys were with the uh, uh, with the Hawkeyes. So I mm-hmm. think that uh, you know that was something that you know some affiliates had to really um, you know figure out, and they lost some. And and I think some of that was just natural attrition because there were you know different stations in different markets, but. Uh, you know, with uh, you know, the Dolph had to try to smooth those feelings over, and and you know, and then they combined the three. They had you know, Gonder was on the sidelines, Brooks and and Zobel were in the booth at the same time, and you know, eventually that kind of went away. But I think it was their way of trying to again kind of do a King Solomon uh, solution here to the the issue, and it, it worked a little bit. But it, it there was some. It, it I think it was just all for optics more than anything else. Doc, uh, as we get ready for summer, Iowa baseball still alive as the eight seed in the Big Ten tournament after they limp to the finish. But what's next? What's your big project that you're working on? What can we look forward to at the Athletic? <laughs> well, there's a lot there. Uh, you know, I would say right now I'm writing about Imani Jones uh, for tomorrow. I've got ah. I've got some things I want to look at towards the summer. I'm not sure I'm ready to to kind of bring them out in the public yet. But uh, I tell you what, you know, one of the interesting things I've noticed is some of the the magazines are out yes you know you look at uh where some of these have iowa all over the place street last iowa in one of them the west yeah and uh athlons i think has them second but nebraska went in the division both ways uh i do my own evaluations but uh I, i'm a little piqued by you know my curiosity in some of these picks yeah, I was with you, Doc. I saw the same thing this weekend as you did. I'm glad you brought that up, that uh, one of them has the Hawkeyes picked, what, next to last or last, sixth, as yeah. you mentioned, sixth place. Um, well, we'll see. I think there's a lot of love for Nebraska out there, which I guess leads me to, you know, the Big Ten West overall, Doc. We might, you know, this might be really it's entertaining every year. Who am I kidding? But there's parody. Is that fair? Is it mediocrity or parody? Which of those two words seemingly fits better uh, here as we approach Memorial Day when describing the Big Ten West football-wise? 
Well, um, I think it depends on your perspective. If you're a, a fan or uh, of one of the teams, I think you're going to say parody right now. But, uh, you know, last year was probably, you know, probably that way. Uh, you know, of course, Purdue was 6-6 six and six and beats Ohio State like a drum. And, mm-hmm. and so I think that each team has its moments. I think six teams should be competitive within the division. Um, you know, to pick one right now, it might be a little difficult. I do... I, I am surprised Iowa is, is six, and I, I think Iowa has maybe the best roster, offense, defense in the division. Um, that, but their schedule is, is challenging. So I, I think teams are capable of it, but I think every team's got a little bit of a hole. And Nebraska's defense was was not very good last year, mm-hmm. so I don't know that I would really paint them as the obvious number one. I think they're capable of winning eight games, but I don't know that I would put them at number one in this. So. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating look at, you know, at how this, everything goes to, together. But, you know, with Iowa, um, with having a three-year starter at quarterback, mm-hmm. two potential first-rounders at an uh, offensive tackle and certainly one at defensive end, and I'll return in most of your defense that was top ten in the country in most categories, I'd struggle to put them with six in the West. I was the same way, Scott Duckerman. I was floored to see it, no doubt about it. Well, uh, Doc, we appreciate you coming on. Great piece. Again, folks, if you haven't read it yet, uh, it's an opportunity. It takes you back. You, you it doesn't seem like it was that long ago necessarily, but, boy, some of the stuff that you forget uh, that, that happened uh, in the way to that decision. And Bob Bowlesby, I mean, how difficult was it for him, do you think, Doc, for him to ultimately make the move that they did? And they seemingly struggled because they interviewed Dolphin and they hung it out there and he kept waiting for that phone to ring. And it was about, what, I think your piece said two weeks before they finally got back to him. So that tells me that this was a decision that did not come easy. Yeah, and the whole situation was difficult for him because in the Big Ten, they were the only team that, that did it this way. And, and some of the things on the cutting room floor were, you know, they'd go out to like Penn State and several of the broadcasters would have to sit on the roof to do the game because they didn't have booth space for them. And, and the Big Ten was kind of pushing Bump Elliott that direction. Hey, you're going to have to cut this down. And Bump didn't want any part of it, so he kind of kicked the can down the road mm. to Bowlesby, who then was kind of pushed and forced into that corner. And and so he had to, you know, to, to select the next voice, and, and the Big Ten was pretty forceful with him. And so, you know, to try to do that and, and, and again, select somebody that everybody could kind of rally around, that's awfully difficult. And they yep. had a few in-state Iowa guys, but, uh, you know, I think he made the right choice at the time. I mean, Gary Dolphin, you know, is he perfect? No, he he's, he's has his flaws, but I think he's been a good representative and has provided Iowa fans with what they kind of want. Yeah, he's had some mishaps, but... You know, I think it could have uh, could have could have been worse if you would have had somebody who maybe didn't honor the Iowa traditions as much as Dolph, and uh, you know, and maybe left after a couple of years. You really could have, uh, you know, kind of deflated the image of the program and and Iowa radio along with it. It's been a great ambassador, no doubt about it. Scott Dockerman from the Athletic Doc, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, good to talk to you, Scott Dockerman from the Athletic to the Big Ten West. Six and three get you a share. Well, I would hope. I don't think. I don't, it, I don't see any I, I of these teams going seven I, and two. I don't either, Trent. I this could be either. one of those funky years where we had a three mm-hmm. or four way tie at mm-hmm. six and three, and we're trying to figure out tiebreakers, yes. and our Twitter's correcting us. That's not the way <laughs> right. it is, you fools. Right. You got this wrong. Remember, this <laughs> yeah. crossover game yeah. counts for this. And I, I very well could see that because I don't envision any of these teams going seven and two. No, or nor do I. Nor do I. I think Iowa is the most talented team, but that schedule, it is such a bear at mm-hmm. Michigan. 
Penn State at home. Yeah, but they were due for one of these schedules. They've been very fortunate. Well, last year's crossovers were, I mean, they've, the 2015 year, I think, is what throws everything out mm-hmm. of whack because they didn't have Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State on that schedule that year. And because of that, or Penn State, everyone thinks, but they played Ohio State, they played Michigan, and they've won those games as of recently. But that schedule is incredibly difficult. Plus, you couple it with at Nebraska, at Wisconsin, at Northwestern, the uh, three other heavy heads there. There's not many teams that could get through that in the Big Ten 8 and 1. No, no, I agree with you. Look, they've got a senior quarterback, a three-year starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got a quarterback, you've got a chance. We'll come back. We'll wrap things up here. We're at Principal Park, first pitch, 1208. A lot of a lot of school kids. Look at the crowd. Oh, yeah. Filling in very nicely. And the sun trying to peek it through. It is going to peek through, Trent. It's going to succeed if you're... You know, in the office trying to figure out what to do for lunch, get outside. They're gone through June the 4th. Come on down to the ballpark. Have a hot dog and a pop and head back to the office. I have to take an extended lunch hour. We're Miller and Condon. We're on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. SK Hawaii. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Final couple of minutes here. Thanks to the uh, folks at the Iowa Cubs for having us down to the ballpark today as the homestand wraps up. They're on the road. Uh, back in town on June the 4th where it's dog day at the ballpark. It's a 7.05 first pitch, but uh, bring the bring the pet down to the ballpark on Tuesday, June the 4th. All right, Trent Condon, let's uh, take a look at tonight. Uh, Cubs play tonight against the Phillies. Jake Arrieta back in Wrigley Field to take on you, Darvish. Darvish was much better in his last start. See if he can put them back-to-back. Nothing yet on Javier Baez, who left the game last night in the sixth inning. He said today, uh, I think it was Bleacher Report, uh, uh, posted it, so I'll give them credit. They're the first I saw that he wants to play tonight. Whether he's able to or not, no decision has been made as of yet. But we got basketball game four tonight. Golden State, do they complete the sweep? No. Okay. We're going to get a game five out of this. Uh, And what's Vegas? What is the number on this game tonight? Portland, a tight, small favorite? They were in game three. Mm -hmm. Now game four, Golden State's favored by three. Wow, that surprises me. I mean, that's a four and a half point jump. Mm Mm-hmm. Without a significant injury, so I'm going to take the value there. I'm going to grab those points, and I would like to see at least a game five. Oh, I would too. I'm hoping that both of these go through seven. Obviously, there's not much chance that is going to happen. Uh, is the number posted yet for tomorrow and back east in Toronto? Is game four will be played? No, still too early yet. Yeah, I'm sure it's actually out now that you say that. And I think it was the same kind of thing. I think the point spread. I heard that this morning driving in. Yeah, Milwaukee favored yeah. by two and a half. Well, look, Toronto had awful shooting yesterday. No, Giannis had a bad night for him. Mm-hmm. But Fred Van Fleet, couldn't he shoot when he was at Wichita State? He was he was never a great shooter. But he was better than one for 11, which he was yesterday, yeah. right? Well, and the other part of it, and one of eight from three, I think he was. Danny Green, one of nine. I mean, that's 20 shots, and they made two of them. But that's what Van Fleet had turned into was a good shooter. I mean, that's kind of what mm-hmm. he's, the, one of the niches that, he, that he's been able to carve out is being that knockdown shooter when he's open. He was atrocious overall. Oh. And that was just a weird, it was an odd game last night. You had the missed free throws by Siakam at the end right. of regulation. Missed the three in a row. Huge. The the putback to tie the game, you just you so rarely see that in yeah, the NBA, a putback like that. The foul calls, too. And if I was a Bucks fan, 
There were a lot of calls that felt like it went Toronto's way. Mm-hmm. Well, Kawhi double dribbled in the middle of one of those ones <laughs> yes. late as he took it yeah. to the basket. Boy, he's fun to watch, isn't he? He, he is. He's so much fun to watch. That left-handed dunk oh, that he had. Yes. Just, the claw. Mm-hmm. And then he's limping around afterwards. No, he's hurt. There's not. There, yeah. He's clear that there's something wrong there. He's. I, I'm leaning towards Milwaukee probably getting that game four, but we'll have some time tomorrow too. We will. To uh, Zubin Mahente is going to join us. Dylan Montz was gracious enough uh, to move out of today, his spot today, and he will join us tomorrow. So Iowa State conversation tomorrow. I want to follow up on your point from when we were talking about Doc and the piece on the Athletic and the Iowa radio. Um, when they went to Learfield. I don't know the Iowa State history. Yeah. I would love to find, maybe we should get John Walters on to pick his brain a little bit on that. Of course, he wasn't the voice of, but he was working with Pete Taylor at the time at KCCI, uh, and I'm sure that he's familiar with what happened. But uh, there there has to be, you know, behind-the-scenes story to tell there. Maybe not as extensive with the three guys, the three different radio teams, all of which had, you know, play-by-play guys that were larger in life. I know Jim Zobel was here in Des Moines. Yes, I mean, yeah. just larger than life. Got a chance to get to know him a little bit, you know, when he was at WHO and I was at, uh, you know, where I am now, Kicks, you know, for the first time. Not, got to meet Zobel a little bit, and he was in failing health, but I was always blown away. You know, he was frail. The body wasn't there, but he was. Op- he would open his mouth. And Jim Zobel would come out. Right, I yeah. mean, still sharp as a tack right till the end. That's how I'll remember him. And uh, for me tonight, little baseball, high school oh. baseball kicking off. Now, season. where are you? I know you got thrown a curveball yes. uh, with the Johnson. The Dragons moved up their start time due to the weather, maybe? Yeah, their impending rain perhaps tonight. So they had a JV varsity schedule. They moved the varsity game up to 5 o'clock. Well, the Fanatics will be on. So 7 o'clock tonight made the move. We're going to be at Valley tonight. It'll be Valley against Ankeny High. Begin high school baseball season tonight. It's here. All right. Thank you uh, again to the Iowa Cubs, Andrew Downs, and John Seller for keeping us, getting us on the air and keeping us on the air. Uh, Murph and Andy, the next local programming at 2. The Fanatics at 4. The Morning Rush will start it all again on a Tuesday as they come your way at 6. Thanks for being here. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 AM.